There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great uh, to be back with you. Another conversation, just noticing nearly 550 episodes on 549. So uh, it's been, uh, been a few and uh, I'm still waiting to hear from anybody who has managed to listen to all of them because that would be, you will certainly get a mention if you've, uh, if you've managed to do that. Um, so delight to be here with another great guest. We've got Henry Coutinho Mason. We're going to be talking about uh, the future normal. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation today. I'm really, really excited about it because uh, visualizing and getting a sense of what uh, next year is going to be like, uh, let alone five years or 10 years uh, time is really challenging at the moment because everything seems to be moving so quickly. It just seems to be... Um, just shifting everything. The sun's moving all over the place, quite literally. Um, so we're going to talk about future normal today. And um, before I do that, a big thank you to my guest, Ben Wolf. We talked about uh, resourcing uh, with uh, fractional uh, leaders last week, uh, which was uh, a conversation about if you want a, a, you know, CEO or CIO or um, a chief marketing officer, actually, it can be very expensive for a small business. So we can have fractions of people's time uh, and it can be much more cost effective. So we talked um, a bit about that last uh, last week. Um, but today we're going to talk about the future. Uh, now, my guest, um, Henry Catino Mason, is the forward thinking author of a, a great book called The Future Normal, How We Live, Work and Thrive in the Next Decade. And uh, you know, as you'll get a sense of uh, shortly, he's absolutely passionate about uh, looking into the future. He spent um, his career so far analyzing trends and looking at innovations, and uh, he, you know he loves sort of charting the course of the future. Now he's recognised for his dynamic presence. He's a great speaker on the speaking circuit. He speaks um, uh, in uh, across the across the globe um, with uh, with lots of different audiences. Um, he does executive workshops, academic lectures. Uh, he's worked at prestigious institutions like HEC Business School in Paris. Uh, and he's really dedicated to societal impact. Um, he really cares about that the impact on society. And he co-founded Three Space, which was an urban regeneration nonprofit known for its innovative approach to community revitalization. He lives in North, um, North London with his family and he was identified uh, in GQ magazine as one of the most connected men in Britain. I'm a bit intrigued to have a chat with him, him about that. Uh, and um, so let's talk about Future Normal and the impact from in the future on social entrepreneurship through to thought leadership and uh, shaping a more innovative future. We care about shaping future as well for a better world on this show, Henry. Um, you know, for me, it's really important that uh, whatever we do in business, 
we contribute to improving the world and not um, not stripping of its of its resources, um, causing more contention, more issue. We need to be coming together in a heartfelt way, connecting uh, people, their hearts and minds, and moving forward. Governments are not going to do it. Um, they're going to uh, continue probably adapting slowly. Um, however, smart folk who are listening to this show, um, it's a different matter. We can get together, we can collaborate, we can do good projects. So let's talk about the future normal. A big welcome, Henry. Thank you so much, Chris. Lovely to be here. <laughs> You're welcome. Good to, good to um, speak to you. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've, since we since we spoke um, a good few weeks ago, I've, I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I thought your your book's fascinating, and uh, you notice all these trends and things that are happening around you. Um, but there's so many of them. There's so much going on. But before we get into all of that, I'd like to find out a little bit about my guests, and I'm always intrigued to know, you know, what their life was like when they were growing up and maybe what were pivotal points that led to them um, ending up writing books about the future, for example. Tell us a bit about you. What was life like for you as a, a young Henry? <laughs> well, it's funny. I, b- before I get to that, you know, I was listening to you, to your, to your incredibly kind introduction and I thought, and I didn't count the exact number, but you know, you might, you use the word future probably 10 or 15 times. Right. And of course my book is called the future, <laughs> but but I just maybe want to clarify for any of your guests who are kind of rolling their eyes and thinking, oh, God, another you know vague discussion. Because actually one of the things we open with in the book, and we talk about this in the introduction, is how we're actually reluctant futurists. Um, and there's a number of reasons for this, which I hope you know, we, we will dive into, I'm sure. But even the title of the book, you know, one of the things we tried to do with the book was to, you know, future and normal. It almost feels like a bit of a paradox, doesn't it? Because we're so used to the future, as I say, being this kind of vague thing and whether it was flying cars or robots and, you know, whether it's utopian or dystopian, there's often this sense that the the future is kind of unknowable and and has to, by definition, be different and, and, you know, weird and strange and magical and all of of these ideas. And actually, one of the things we wanted to, to, you know, do in the book, but one of the things I've, I've really built my whole career around is actually helping people understand that actually the kind of the biggest opportunities in the future can actually be found in the present and they can be found in people. And, and so that brings me back, you know, I'm not dismissing your introduction at all. I think, you know, it's incredibly nice to hear, but but where I think we really meet and really align is, as you say, that that sense of the purpose of your show is to celebrate the good stories, you know, the people moving things forward for a better future, for, be that for society, be that for people, be that for, for the planet. And I think, we're, you know, we're trying to do really the same thing as well and trying to celebrate some of, some of these, these stories in today, you know, of today, the present entrepreneurs, exactly like you do on your radio show, you know, celebrate these people who are creating something that might be a bit weird and wonderful and wacky today, but... The question we're always asking is, what would it look like if this started to become normal? If this scaled, if this becomes more mainstream, you know, and, and there's a real agenda to our book as well, right? You know, we, we want the things we write about to, to become mainstream. And we, we, we're obviously not blind to the risks of some of the things we write about, whether it's AI or whether it's, you know, some, some of the, uh, you know, the, the synthetic biology and, you know, all of these kind of, as I said, these, these novel technologies, 
of course we've seen over the past you know decade and, and you know that they can have a negative impact but but really we're trying to tell positive stories about the future and, and i guess you know that gets me uh you know slightly to to uh you know who am i or what the question that you asked you know kind of i i, I okay can we just speak before we do that now because you now you've now opened up a <laughs> a, a, a sort of conversation and just get that what i'm i'm sensing here is you know i i talk we talk quite a bit about the importance of rewriting the narrative mm. you know, actually we can be talking ourselves into a dystopian future right now when actually there's also an awful lot of good things going on uh, and and i loved your ref you loved your reframe in that actually just understanding what is out there right now could impact your future as a business or as a you know as a, an individual because there's so much technology for example and, and ideas and contributions around the globe that if we just take some of that best practice and as you say move it into the future we're already rewriting a better narrative um and i think you know people need a better narrative they need a feeling that there is hope that actually things aren't as doom and gloom as the media identify which is one of your topics in your book um so yeah, I just wanted to reframe that. I, 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 you know, I agree. I think, I think this narrative is just so important. No, you're 100 percent right. And actually, you know, when when we we came to the US to launch the book at the the South by Southwest Technology Festival uh, last year, it's about to take place in Austin again this year. And you know, this of course is a you know very kind of you know tech savvy, right, tech focused audience. And one of the slides we put up was was to say, you know, we can only or we will only create the future we can imagine. <laughs> And we hear so much, you know, and I get it, right? You know, Hollywood and, and you know, Netflix, et cetera, the, the, the mainstream media, not, not just the news media, but the, the cultural media, you know, has, has if you like, uh, you know, this, this kind of narrative that the future is going to be this dystopian hellhole and, you know, we're going to have no jobs and environmental collapse. And look, as I say, we're not naive. Like, you know, you look at some of the data and, and it is scary, especially when it comes to climate. But as we said, it, it just jarred with some of the conversations we were having on a daily basis with entrepreneurs in the material space, you know, in the urban mobility space, you know, in, in whatever it is, you know, logistics in as cities, in the healthcare space. It, you know, and, and not always just technological, you know, people, the future of work, right? Entrepreneurs, like, like exactly like your previous guests talking about fractional, um, you know, fractional positions, creating, you know, lives that are, and, and solutions that are, that are more tailored to, you know, people's aspirations. Of course, you know, we're saying this is, this is often confined to a small pocket. So, you know, either of, of an industry or of a society, right? It's, it's not normal today to have some of these things. But but this was our as I said this was our point of writing the book is if we can celebrate these stories and that's why I'm, I'm so delighted to come on this show you know to talk about some of these entrepreneurs to talk about some of these visions of the future what you know what what gets me excited about what I do and why I feel so privileged to have the the, the job that I that I do is if that sparks a fire in someone you know if that if that sparks an idea or a passion or or you know a a, a thought maybe I could do something in my company or in my family or you know, whatever it is, right? Maybe, maybe I could tell my children about this and they could lead a better life. You know, they could, they could have a better environment. That is just, you know, hugely humbling and hugely inspiring for me, hugely motivating for me. And I think that this is, you know, as I said, this is the, the, 
if you like, when I get all evangelical about, as I said, I'm a reluctant futurist, but I'm also a very passionate uh, nowist <laughs> because I think the other problem with talking about futurism rather than kind of celebrating, you know, the, 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 what's happening today is that if you're always talking about the future, the risk is it becomes, uh, you know, very debilitating or very, very uh, um, passive. Mm. For yeah. those people, you know, the future is something that is going to happen to us mm. rather than the narrative that I prefer to talk to, especially for a business audience. You know, you're talking to people who ultimately do have some agency, you know, have the ability to influence, whether it's a small company, you know, or, or in some cases, you know, really large organizations. How can we, as you said, open it at the opening of a show, how can we create a better future for all of us? You know that is the biggest question that we that we're all trying to answer. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so, so maybe you're not you're not a futurist. You're also a nowist. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. You know, like like every uh, author, we try and brand our own. You know, create our own confused. niche. Not to be confused with Maoist nowist. <laughs> um, I, I really get that. Just so, uh, just just um, just help us. And I did ask you a question earlier. Uh, and uh, I'm not even going to let you off the hook, but how did you, what was it for you that inspired you to decide you want to spend your time talking about now into the future? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. When you asked it to me before we came on the show, I kind of have a two-part answer to it. I mean, number one, I've had a very squiggly career. Uh, and I don't know if you've heard that phrase. It's a great book, actually, as well. If any, if any readers are at a, at a kind of, uh, or any listeners are, are thinking about their career, there's, there's a great book. It's called The Squiggly Career or something like that. Yep. And um, I have gone from studying politics and international relations at, at university as a student. I then went into accountancy and started my career with KPMG, which is is more common than in the UK than it is in the US. Uh, and I then joined this firm uh, at the moment that I was setting up this nonprofit. I also, uh, while we're getting that off the ground, I joined this this firm called Trendwatching, which was a small uh, Dutch firm, a kind of, you know, really an internet enabled firm. There were, I mean, I was kind of a first employee based in the UK. We grew, I ended up taking over the business. We grew it to kind of still small 35 people, but operating globally. We had a small office in New York. We had a small office in Singapore. Uh, kind of, yeah, so 35 people distributed around the world, but serving, you know, uh, corporate clients in over 60 countries. Um, and then I left that business in the pandemic and, and then have ended up writing writing the book. Uh, and And so, you know, the honest answer to your question is, I have no real idea how I've ended up there. A couple of kind of happy accidents. But it's funny, looking back on it, when I was reflecting, I have this memory that when I was at school, uh, we were probably seven or eight, and I, I was at a school in kind of rural England, but it was quite near to one of the big British telecoms offices. And uh, I remember we had someone from, from the, you know, the, the, the telecommunications company come in and essentially his job must have been as some kind of futurist, right? And but it it was only I, I don't think I thought about it in the inter, in, in the in the middle 20 years between that happening and me joining this trend watching company. But when I joined, it kind of resurrected in my memory. And I remember thinking, well, at the time I thought that is like the coolest job in the world that you get to kind of just sit and think about what's coming next and talk about it to your colleagues. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? And, and I you know, that, as again, there were probably not many futurists in the, in the late 80s when that happened. It's become a much more growth industry. 
And so, you know, I think it, it just reminded me of that that Steve Jobs famous uh, commencement speech, uh, uh, you know, when he gives a speech, and he said, you know, so often it's only in looking back that you can join the dots. And yeah. actually, right, you, know, you have to sometimes take these kind of, you know, unexplained or unimagined or certainly slightly unplanned, spontaneous leaps into things. And then, you know, in hindsight, you can craft a narrative around them. And I think, you know, look, as I'm sure we're going to talk about AI, but at the moment when we're at a, a kind of, you know, it feels like quite a, a critical moment for society and humanity in terms of the world of work is going to change so fundamentally, you know, in the next decade or so. I think that, you know, if I'm if I was speaking to my son, I mean, he's only five, but looking ahead. You know, I, I would probably try and encourage him to to do something similar, right? To follow, you know, these kind of slightly random flights of fancy, because the truth is, you don't necessarily know where where things will take you. And and in hindsight, you know, you can try and make it work out and craft a narrative. You just work hard and kind of put your head down and get on with things and and yeah. be alert to opportunities. Yeah, brilliant. So let's let's talk about some of the thoughts in your book, then, because there's a lot. There's a lot of different topics in it. You, you t tell us a little bit about how people can maybe use your book for start, and uh, you know, yeah. uh, maybe maybe the scope scope of it because it feels like one of those you can dip in and out of. And well, it's it's so funny you you say that because that's actually often one of people's first comments about the book. And it's you know, as, as a writer, you you kind of pour your heart and soul into the actual words, and it's amazing when you get the feedback of what people pick up on. And, and quite often people are like, I said, you know, I just love the format because the format for, for those people listening, it's 30 short chapters. So, you know, each one is less than 10 pages long. Really, each one asks a what if question and, and, and uses a startup or, a, or an individual or an early stage organization, a nonprofit to, that is in existence today to pose this bigger what if question about kind of what if this became normal, right? So one of the chapters, you know, just going back to your previous guest, it is about job sharing, actually, you know, what if you could share your job with someone, you know, kind of typical 40, 50 hour a week jobs and not, not quite a, like a fractional thing, but actually two people do one job, you know, whether that's for mental health reasons or, or uh, you know, family reasons, et cetera. So we explore that and there's a job sharing platform in, in the UK and a big insurance company that, that tried this, right? So we, we dig into the data around what they learned from that. Um, but back to the book, you know, one of the things we realized, despite the fact, you know, we're both authors, me and my co-author Rohit Bhargava, who's based outside Washington, is, um, you know, no one has any time to read anymore, right? You know, the thought of sitting down and reading a 300-page book, you know, it's the kind of, you know, the big joke that most books, certainly most business books, you know, could probably be an article, right? Or certainly a TED Talk. And then they're padding it out to fill the kind of criteria of the publishing industry. You know, you've got to... Right, yeah, they want to... I was, yeah. I was, my first book, they were... Um, I handed it in once it was a nice short book that people could uh, pull out of the bag or out of a handbag and read on the underground or whatever and it was they wanted more chapters putting in <laughs> exactly but but you know we said let's I mean you know we, we did manage to hit that that number but not really because if anything we had to cut a whole load of things out because you know there's 30 big questions in there but we could have asked 300 is the truth right so but but in terms of the format of the book you know we 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 know that no one has the time, there's that part. But also, 
the thing that both me and Rohit have built our careers around, and, and he was an incredible uh, co-author to work with. Uh, again, funny story, I mean, it was, we met for the second ever time when we launched the book in Texas. We'd met at an event in, in uh, New York just before the pandemic and we got chatting and we, we stayed in touch. And so then during lockdown, we kind of, uh, I was just calling around, you know, speaking to people I knew in the industry, finding out how they were getting on and, and came off the call having kind of agreed to write a book with him. Again, it wasn't really planned. Uh, we just kind of stumbled into it. Um, but, you know, one of the things we built our career around is, is and one of the things we're so passionately uh, believers in is that actually so often the the best insights come from looking just outside your kind of your normal frame of reference, right? You know, if you're you're a radio producer, if you you know if you're in media, right? If you just look at what all the other media companies are doing, you're going to miss the fact. You know, and the obvious one is to look at I don't know Disney or you know the, what they're doing in the theme parks or whatever. But you know, you're actually going to miss that what I don't know Burberry are doing in f luxury fashion retail. You know, might actually feed back in. Certainly, with Four Seasons, what they're doing might well feed back into you know how you treat your guests or whatever it is. You know, so it's thinking about some of the the uh, early ripples in other industries in other parts of the world the things that won't um, you, you know maybe be immediately obvious to how they impact your business or your role today but actually you know when you take them you know when you zoom out a bit and when you look at some of the bigger underlying trends you can see how that is going to reshape you know the, the environment in which you operate and so that's really the other reason for wanting to have this you know this this book and you've you've alluded to it that touches across so many different strands it is technology but it is also the future of work it's the future of healthcare it's the future of cities it's the future of climate and sustainable living because you know none of those none of those things exist in isolation you know they're all interrelated and, and as i said we, we end each chapter uh, of the book so you know we ask this big what if question we drill into a particular we call them a featured instigator in the book and we explore you know someone who's living this trend today and then we wrap up with a little box with kind of three or four questions saying you know, you know just posing posing these these questions about what might happen next and, and crucially what might it mean for you as a perhaps a more general reader that isn't in this space today um and so that you know people have we've got great feedback from that idea of kind of you know people sit there and go it sits somewhere between reading the sunday news supplement you know the kind of deeper thinking articles in, in a magazine but but with a kind of a you know an actionable business twist on it and and that is just really fun to write and it, it, as I said the feedback you get and learning about and and what the que the comments I love the most are when people say oh th that story that you told reminds me of X Y Z and they bring you know new sort of stories for me to to explore and write about because I think when you or the other thing reason why I love this kind of nowist approach to thinking about the future right you know th th focusing on what's happening today. And this is a lot of the workshops that I run with clients. It's so accessible, right? You know, people often feel that the future and, you know, this kind of, is, is very, it can be quite an academic pursuit. Whereas if you tell stories about, you know, here are three or two or three examples of a business, an entrepreneur, a nonprofit doing something really interesting today. What might that mean for you? You know, you ask a question. I always say it's provocations, not predictions. And, and I, you know, I'm yet to find someone who doesn't respond to that. But even if it's to say, 
here are five reasons why it won't work, right? I think you're an idiot, <laughs> right? That's great feedback. And then someone on the other side of the room chips in and says, ah, oh, but what if, you know, I hear you, but that's today. What about if something changed? And you open up a conversation. So so this is what I love about, about what we do is, is it is, you know, the future in many respects is unknowable. You know, anyone who tells you they can predict the future, I would argue is, is lying, right? Or, or certainly, you know, radically overconfident. But I think what you can do is ask better questions about, as we've already discussed, what the future you can help create exactly for your team, for your family, for your business. And I think that is all we can do. Because the future was first, you know, first came about in thought. And I'll say, to, I'll say that to my, my kids, actually. You know, if you look at the, the building, those buildings over there, uh, they they first um, were imagined in somebody's mind in terms of what they could be. And it, everything starts in thought first. And uh, what you're doing is bringing, I uh, getting lots of snippets of ideas and things that are happening in different industries, different sectors, uh, different categories. Uh, and that can help somebody who is thinking about their, their vision for their business uh, in terms of the strategy and the approaches they can take. So um, I, I haven't seen a notice a crystal ball on your desk, but what I am noticing from what I've read about the, you and the work that you do is that you're, you're looking at um, what is already out there and what is possible um, to help people to create a better future. Is that, is that? I couldn't have put it better myself. Okay, good. Well, that's good. So we've got three minutes of commercial break. So other, uh, we, we want to talk about some of the components in your book, and, and I think each of them we could probably do a show on. So um, do you have, um, what, what are your favorite ones? What are the ones that people most um, love to talk about? Oh, that's a great question. Um, we'll make sure we'll get those in after the break i mean there's a few yeah i you know i'm sure we can have a, a, a bigger conversation about ai right because that is absolutely the, the big technology the other thing that i'm really intrigued by is uh, synthetic biology and you know how we're remaking the physical world in the same way that we've remade the digital world in in the last kind of couple of decades yeah i think you know that's a, a, a chapter that i'd love to discuss with you the other chapter is around you know the um the 15 minute city i i really enjoy that chapter and the two the reason why i enjoy those two chapters the most is because it's you know synthetic biology and the 15 minute city these are probably topics that some of your audience have heard about mm. but i think and and really it was it was through speaking to the entrepreneurs that we end up profiling and and looking at their businesses we come to a conclusion which I think is much less obvious than the conventional narrative. And that's what I really love doing is, is taking something that is kind of, you know, percolating around the, the you know, the, 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 the information sphere people have heard of, people are aware of roughly what's happening, but then aren't diving one step deeper and saying, why is this actually happening? And then crucially, what might it mean for me and my, you know, my team, my business? And bringing a new perspective on that, like that's when I feel like we get a, you know, I get a real um, bolt of energy and and kick because you know hearing people respond to that and and feeling that they've now they've you know they've got a bit of an edge because they they see something that other people aren't. Uh, that's really fun. Excellent. So on that on that note, let's talk after the break. We're going to talk about AI, uh, and we'll talk about synthetic biology, and we'll talk about the fifteen minute city. So three really great topic areas. Uh, so. You need to come back after the break, please. Um, bring, bring, get yourself a, a pad of paper I always recommend or your electronic notebook or whatever you use and just 
just jot a few notes down, you know, of what, what this means to you, you know, how you could maybe apply some of these ideas in your own work, in your own, own, own business. Um, because as um, was mentioned there by Henry, sometimes an idea from one field can be completely moved into a moved into another um i i often mention it's an interview i had on this show with ritz carlton and and for example they have little huddles every morning and they the question they ask themselves is how can i fulfill the unanticipated um uh, needs of my customer today unanticipated expectations actually of my customers today you can use that in every industry how do i fulfill the unanticipated expectations of my customers today um really fascinating they do that in, every, in lots of huddle in huddles all over the company all over the world and that leads to quite remarkable opportunity um knowledge ideas they're very transferable so back with you again in just a couple of minutes do join us after the break when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Say It Skillfully is my radio show about being who you are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. I'll help you find the right words to tackle any challenging conversation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. You'll learn how to achieve success on your terms and be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in your life. Check out SayItSkillfully.com for practical resources, including my 90-second videos, real-life examples showing you how to speak up skillfully. I invite you to call in with your questions. Join me live every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. And no, I'm cheering for you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Henry Catino Mason, and we're talking about uh, we're talking about the future, but we're also talking about being a Nowist as well um before the break um but before i go into um talking about we're going to talk about ai we're going to talk about synthetic biology and the 15 minute city i just want to say thank you to judy piatkas who um H henry was introduced uh, to um by by judy 
Uh, Judy's uh, a great friend, and she is um, was the founder of Conscious Cafe, which some of you might have heard of, um, which is a great organization for uh, people who are um, thinking about uh, particularly sort of spiritual sort of matters. But also she created an amazing organization called Piatka's Books, and she was very kind enough to introduce me to Henry. So thank you, Judy. Appreciate that. So, Henry, let's talk. Let's get straight into it. So what do we need to know right now? This is this AI is just um, it's all around us. I mean, you know, it's just interesting in the, the US stock market and the S&P, you know, um, NVIDIA, um, Apple, Microsoft, Meta, all these um, platforms. Any, anything that seems to be involved with AI has gone through the roof in the last year or two. Um, and actually, what's also interesting is, uh, you know, you could say these are stock market bubbles, but these companies are actually earning, making serious amounts of money. So it's actually, um, I think it's more than a bubble. Um, these are um, organizations that have got uh, big, you know, big um, financial stability around them too but ai is growing at an enormous uh, rate it's starting to affect everybody you know you and i were talking about uh, how we how we use it before the break help <laughs> <laughs> yeah i look i think i think you're entirely right <laughs> you know, it, it's if i think back you know I mean, i've been talking about the future and thinking about trends and technology for nearly 15 years now and you know you go through waves and some of them are big mobile social you know some of them sound big the metaverse crypto but kind of fizzle out right and i and i think i would firmly put ai in, in the first category you know like mobile and social it, you know it is a paradigm shift uh but i think it actually ironically and this is kind of talking about you know it, being a reluctant futurist my view on ai is actually remarkably similar or, or stays stable or the way of thinking about ai and the way i talk to to my clients about it is actually almost the same as as those previous bigger waves and actually uh it was inspired by so, so it was interesting you closed out just before the break uh talking about expectations how do i met how do I meet the unmet expectations of, of my, my customers? And actually, my first book was, was a much more kind of technical book on how to watch trends called Trend-Driven Innovation. And the opening chapter of that was the expectation economy. Uh, and it was all about basically this kind of this model of watching trends or thinking about the future was to say it's a, it's a kind of com combining, yes, the new, the shiny new object that everyone's kind of losing their mind over, but also about what doesn't change. You know, how do you use new technologies, new behaviors, whatever it is, you know, new generational, you know, expectations to satisfy existing fundamental basic human needs and wants? And I think those are the businesses that survive these kind of these big, you know, paradigm shift, you know, waves of change. Right. Of course, if you're a tech business and you're in video, right, you've already mentioned, you know, your, your approach to AI is very different, right, to a listener who's sitting in. I don't know, a law firm, right? Or a retailer or whatever it is, right? So there's, there's, there's kind of two conversations that we're having. And I, and I would suggest kind of, you know, we part of it, there's the technical side of it. And that's kind of, that will, you know, take place within that pocket of the industry, fine. But, but the real question is like, how does it affect the rest of us? And, you know, if you're not in that space, how should you be thinking about AI? And, and 
even before AI, as I said, it, my, my approach has remained remarkably sta stable because I, I still use... So, so I wrote this book in, I think, 2016, talking about, you know, it's all about expectations and basic human needs and wants. And then and then a couple of years after that, Jeff Bezos was being interviewed on stage. And he has this amazing quote, which, which is in the book. And I, I open all my presentations with actually as well. And he said he was being interviewed on stage at a, at a retail conference. And this journalist was saying, Jeff, paint me a picture of the future of retail. You know, what are you working on? What's going to be different? talking about drones and AI and big data and, you know, staffless stores and all this stuff. And he looked at her and he said, you know, it's fascinating. He said, I'm always asked this question. What's changing? You know, what's going to be different? He said, no one's ever asked me the reverse of this question, which is what's not going to change. And he said, I put it to you that actually for me and my leadership team at Amazon, that second question is what we care about far more. Because, you know, he said, the technologies will come and go. He said, you know, we know that in 10 years time, no customer is going to come up to me and say, Jeff, love what you're doing at Amazon, but I just wish you had higher prices and slower delivery times. You know, that will never happen. And he said, so those big fundamental human needs that, you know, the business is really about he said, those are the things that we can invest our time and energy and, and effort in because we know they'll always get paid back. So he said, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. And, and this brings us back to it's that, that intersection between, of course, there's new technologies that enable you to do things differently. But as I say, you know, the kind of the secret to success is to be laser focused and clear about, you know, especially if you run an organization. You know, I often ask people, in Amazon, yeah, you can basically ask anyone throughout the organization, what are those customer North Stars? You know, what, what are we really in the business of? And you're basically going to get the same answer. You know, we're in the business of high, you know, fast deliveries, low prices, and a lot of choice, right? That, that's what I, I said. Yeah, how many organizations, you know, if you're a leader of an organization, how confident are you that if I asked everyone in your organization, would I get the same answer from 95% of them? And it's a kind of moment for a lot of people where they say, oh God, you know, maybe maybe, I, maybe you wouldn't. You know, do people really know what I'm a business of? So kind of that's that's very much the, the lens through which, you know, when I think about AI or when I, when I talk to people about AI, it's thinking about, you know, how does AI enable you to do the things that you're already doing or the things that you want to be doing, the things your customers want you to be doing for them, faster, quicker, cheaper, better? You know, it's that question. And then suddenly, I think it, the value of that is it just allows you to be much more focused and much more selective and much more effective in your your analysis of what's changing and how you can take advantage of it because let's make no mistake i mean the pace of ai innovation is truly you know exhilarating exponential exhausting and <laughs> delete as appropriate you know we were talking i mean just we're recording this um less than 24 hours after OpenAI have released their text to video tool called Sora where you can just type in a video. It's not even released yet, but they've now they've released the videos that they're, they're it's in security testing. You know, they get they're giving it to a select number of people to kind of check how it can be used safely. And that and that's probably another conversation. Um 
but you know the the pace and if if you look back where we were 12 months ago in being able to create videos or being able to create you know little haikus or you know chat gpt came onto the scene and suddenly it felt transformative then you got pictures then you get video you know now you're getting videos and it's kind of you know it is it is tough to keep up right you know you just you, you, and i will be the first person to admit even as someone that exists you know in this world i mean that is my job uh it is still tough tough to keep up but i think the moment that you have a focus and you say this is really you know m- what my business purpose is and therefore you know i'm going to be laser focused on can i see adjacent examples of how ai is being used or could be used to enable me to do that better then it becomes you know radically more empowering rather than feeling like oh my god i'm drowning here in in you know the volume of overwhelming yeah i'm just mind, mind, mindful of um time in terms of also chatting about synthetic biology mm. 15 minute uh, city um because it will soon be the, the end will soon be upon us um but it's uh you know for me you know ai is is, is mostly me for chat gpt um where should people also be looking at AI? You know, if they're not running small businesses, for example, um, people mention other names. And do do you have a views of other AI tools that are particularly helpful for people right now? Beyond, yeah, I mean, just quickly, kind of my AI stack, if you like. I, I love Perplexity for uh, research. It's it's kind of a bit like ChatGPT, but you ask it questions. It's kind of it, it often touted as the Google killer. It, it, it's much better sourced. So it will bring you link, you know, links to the 20 articles that it's used or the five to 10 right. articles that it's used to, to create that answer. So that so you can really yeah. drill down much, much more easier in, into seeing where that information has come from. So there's less mistakes. Uh, okay. Mid journey is great for images. I, I, again, it's personal preference. I, I really like uh, Claude, which is another one for, for writing, you know, I find chat GPT a bit robotic. I find uh, Claude mm. uh, much better. But interestingly, and there's been a lot of data about this, you know, I use AI to fill in my weaknesses more, right? I am not a graphic designer, right? So it helps me create images because I can't do that otherwise. In terms of the skills that, you know, I think and hope I'm good at, as I often say to people, I would like nothing more for, you know, an author that I'm competing with to to outsource, to delegate their their, their writing to, to AI, because I still think, you know, the bit that you are best at, you, 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 I, I hope you're better than AI at your core skill. Uh, so actually, uh, you know, one, one thing I use it for a lot is it's almost like an anti-prompt. So, you know, if I'm having a conversation with you, you know, about something, the future of healthcare, whatever it might be, like the things that I want to bring to the table and, you know, the things I want to talk to you and your audience about are the things that aren't coming out of AI, right? Because those are the things that I think are more interesting. So how do you get an edge? So I find it very, you know, very interesting as a, as a kind of creative sparring partner rather than just, you know, a, a delegator. I mean, I use it to delegate some tasks too, but I think the tasks that you are best at, it, it, you know, I think co-pilot is a great word. In Microsoft, you said that word co-pilot. I, yeah. I truly think it is a co-pilot rather than a replacement. And we write about this in the book called augmented creativity. You know, it is about extending human capabilities and collaborating with it rather than replacing it. Just, I completely, completely, honestly agree. So we've got, we've got literally 
we have five minutes each max to talk about synthetic biology and then 15 minute city, which we promised. So I would say actually four minutes each. Mm-hmm. Um, so synthetic biology. Well, we'll keep it, we'll keep it short because it's not really about synthetic biology at all. The insight. And I, and I love this insight because, you know, again, there'll be many listeners who it either provokes a strong reaction positively or negatively. And, and the exploration when I was talking to this uh, a guy who runs a, a, a cultivated meat company, so kind of essentially lab, yeah. they, they like to call it cultivated meat, lab grown chicken, or you know, it, is it would be you know, an easier way of describing it. But the idea is, you know, that the promise of this, and look, we're still caveat this, we're still a long way from this being you know commercially available. I mean, it was approved by the FDA for sale in the US, uh, Upside Foods, but but they haven't got there yet, right? They, a few chicken nuggets is basically what they've produced. Uh, but the promise is, you know, this is cleaner, more ethical. You know, there's no antibiotics used. There's no carbon footprint, virtually no carbon footprint. There's no food miles. You know, there's no animal being killed, right? It's, it's chicken, yeah. real chicken, you know, cellularly identical to a, to an, a, a, you know, an, a living animal, the meat, but without any of the bad stuff, basically. Yes. And I just thought that was fascinating because, you know, if you think about um, the last 40 years, most of your listeners, we've grown up for the whole, you know, the last generation believing that natural is best. You know, you think about whole foods, right? That is the luxury. That's a status symbol. Synthetics... Are, are, are you know down market right they're not what people aspire to and, and what if that flips you know and, and of course that's where we were post second world war nylons plastics these were miracle materials that were going to save the world until we found out the dark side of them yes but now you know you have these synthetic substances produced by renewable energy you know as i said you know superficially much cleaner uh and so that I just thought is a really fascinating question to ask. And if you're running, you know, a business that is based around natural positioning, mm. are you aware that possibly in the next 10 years you're going to have competition from synthetics yes. that purport to be cleaner, you know, in fashion, in beauty, in 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 um uh, you know, so in food, in all sorts of industries where the fake version, if you like, the synthetic version, they call it fake, of course, <laughs> but the fake version is, is, could actually be the luxury, you know, entry into a market. And I just think that's, that is, these are the kind of questions that I love to ask. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Love it. And I think um, that's a really interesting paradigm shift, isn't it? Because actually there's so many, so many more benefits to that. So many. So 15 minute city. I'm, and this is a, a topic I hear, I've heard quite quite a, a bit about, and I think you know, Oxford, for example, is a good, mm. um, you know, a, an example which I think seems to be striving to towards that. Um, tell us a bit about Fifteen Minute City. Well, I try, try and keep it short, but but basically, for those listeners who aren't aware, the idea of a Fifteen Minute City is kind of this movement, this global movement, to essentially try and bring the kind of the day to day amenities that you you need and want when you live in a city closer to where you live. And again, the conventional now, I'm I'm conscious that I'm probably wearing a bit of a European hat here, right? I know the U.S. cities are different, but it's definitely a growing movement in in the U.S. as well, kind of car free neighborhoods. But the conventional wisdom around this is that you you literally physically bring things closer, right? So you build a doctor's surgery, you know, a school, all, all these things have to come to you. And again, it, I was speaking to um, someone who runs a, a, a micro mobility startup. So essentially e-bikes, right, is what, is what they make. 
And their point was that actually, like the the real disruption of this this electric, you know, whether it's scooters or there's, I mean, there's some crazy stuff happening. These kind of solar powered quadricycles, they're called. It's basically <laughs> like a golf buggy, but yes. the, it's got a solar panel on top, and it's kind of it, it, in a lot of most countries, it, it falls kind of outside of uh, you know driving license regulations. Uh, so I was in France one time, and someone said me, they said the reason why these are so popular is because French, you can drink and drive, right? Because you can't lose your license on them. So. <laughs> But that's that's another uh, uh, question. But this this person said the real change that's going to happen in the next you know five to ten years is not that we need to reconfigure the city itself. It's that actually we can give people modes of transport that take them further faster. Because yeah. the truth is, like most of us, you know, if you live in a city. You know, you want the city because it has big infrastructure. I live in London. You know, I want to go to the Royal Albert Hall and listen to a yeah. concert, or I want to go, you know, to Big Ben. I mean, there's a reason why big cities have big attractions, right? You, you know, otherwise I just live in a small city and save a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, so, so his point was, you know, actually, technology can allow us, and, and this is probably is a you know a lesson for many many other contexts. Technology allows us to do more of what we want without having to reconfigure the you know the, the whole underlying fabric, physical fabric of the world, because that's harder. And, and so again, it's it's thinking about you know, what I love to do is there's a problem that we kind of agree needs solving, you know, as a society, and, and there's often there's a kind of an under, well understood way of how we might solve it. But in other times, you know, this is where I think innovators can be so interesting is you kind of can get a, you know, slightly, often a slightly crazy person, right, who says, well, why does it have to be like that? What if we do something differently? And actually, when they when they come and they tackle something in a novel way, I think that can often provoke a lot of, you know, whether that's materials or whether that's mobility, you know, they're solving a single problem from a new angle. But actually, sometimes when it, when you when you think about how they're doing it and what it might mean, for me, that's where it starts to get interesting and start to ask that question to other people and say, okay, well, you know, what does it look like if, if we're going to do things differently? And, and that is, you know, I think a question that we all need to ask ourselves more and more, because as we've discussed, you know, many different ways, the world is changing. But of course, also, it's not changing. People aren't changing. You know, we still want to be, you know, we still want to be successful. We still want to take care for, you know, for our families. We still want to entertain ourselves, you know, be, be connected to those that matter to us. We still want to build a life that is meaningful to us and, and do that in a positive way. And so I think we're just at such an interesting moment where we have these basic fundamental human needs and wants that are you know, probably doing this since Shakespearean or Greek or Roman times. You know, that's that's why, of course, you get echoes of the same, you know, you know in storytelling, right? We, we, we are we are very simple beings on many levels. How we how we you know how we engage with our desires and our needs is is obviously changing on a daily basis, and that that intersection is fascinating. I think that yeah, I think and that intersection, I think uh, what we're seeing. Right now, across the, across the world, in many many different er different areas, is uh, is points of real friction, um, because because change uh, change creates friction. You know, I'm thinking about the example of your city. I know in what I've read about Oxford and uh, the intention to um, to make changes so there's not so much pollution in the city. It actually means it all seems like a good idea, and then people realise mm, I'm going to be stopped using my car. 
uh, I can only use it so many days uh, a week or a month or a year. Otherwise, I'm going to have to pay a, a large fee to be able to move from place to place. Um, and people start to realize the consequence of it, which then causes friction and angst. And But I guess it's only on those points of friction that change does happen. So, you know, I, I suppose it's an indication of how much change is happening in the world right now is how many points of friction um, there are. Well, I think, you know, for every aspiring entrepreneur or anyone running an existing businesses listening to this, the points of friction are the points of opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I just want to. We've got four minutes till we've got to, till we close, and about well, only took a couple of minutes. So I need to need to wrap up. So, um, do you, I mean, do you want to just very briefly in terms of your work? Um, you know, who are your key clients? Who do you who do you help? Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate. I work with large organisations typically, right, to help them. You know, as I said, ask better questions about the futures they they might give. So I feel incredibly lucky. I do, as as you mentioned in the introduction, do a lot of conferences, you know, workshops, etc. With you know, was everyone from Calvin Klein to Johnson and Johnson to, to you know the Tata Group in India. So I mean, I've worked in over over uh, thirty countries, which is you know, I, mean, I feel incredibly fortunate to have that ability to to then join the dots between what a healthcare client in Europe and a bank in the US and you know whatever it might be a steel company in in India. You know, what, what are the similar questions that they're asking, and maybe what might some of the solutions be? But but my real you know urge to the audience listening is to you know, as I opened with, don't outsource thinking about the future to the futurists. Right? You know, it's too important. <laughs> you know, be a, be a, not just a futurist, but be a nowist. You know, in, in embrace looking at some of these these novel innovations and you know amazing startups that you see, but always have that lens of how are they serving a basic need that is relevant to the organization that I'm working with? You know, whether that if you're a bank, you're going to be dealing in trust and security. If you're a fashion company, you're going to be dealing with identity and status. If you're a food company, it's convenience and sustainability. You know, so if you see someone doing something interesting in a different field that still speaks to the basic needs of your customers, that's how you can start to become you know, a, a futurist, but a futurist who can take action. And, and I'd love for everyone, you know, that's really my mission is for people to become uh, futurists themselves. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I've really enjoyed the conversation today, Henry. Um, it, it's got me thinking about uh, being a nowist and versus being a futurist and, uh, uh, and some of the kind of interesting trends that we need to observe and be, be aware of. And, uh, uh, and uh, to keep our minds really open to those opportunities and uh, utilize them, think about them, get into action. So thank you so much. Um, if you want to find out more about Henry Acutino Mason, his website is Henry Acutino, which is C-O-U-T-I-N-H-O hyphen Mason dot com. I don't think there's probably too many of those on the Internet. <laughs> um, and uh, if you want to connect in with him on LinkedIn, he's at LinkedIn.com uh, slash in slash Henry Coutinho mason with uh, hyphens between henry and uh, katina and mason um i would suggest though if you do connect with him uh, you do let him know why you're connecting with him where you've where you've heard from him because I, I get loads and loads of requests to connect with people just 
send me a connection request. I don't know who they are, so I don't bother. Um, so uh, I'll leave that with you. If you've got any questions or comments, send them to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Always good to hear, hear from you. Um, if you've got any suggestions for the show, uh, then feel free to send those in as well. Um, but next week, um, I'm going to have a little break next week and um, actually um, was holidaying and now working. Um, but we're going to have a show with Molly Harvey, uh, next week make changes not excuses which was a, a good one so repeating that next week and then we'll be back to the uh, usual agenda of uh, lots more uh, new shows um following on in fact we've got one with uh, t with um sergio and um manuel um from mexico and colombia talking about um the evolution of uh, lead leadership in men um the following week um so that'll be really interesting conversation so back again with you uh, in a couple of weeks uh, take care and once again thank you to henry catino mason and also to judy packers for a kind and appreciated introduction take care everybody we thank you for listening to the chris cooper business elevation show Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.